Hey, Doug. Hey, Karen. Such excitement. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I wasn't expecting it. No, to, like, don't ever start, apologize. Start recording so quickly. Like, usually it's like a like a long lag. And then all of a sudden it was like, boom, we're recording. I'm like, shit. Hey. Well, here we are. Here we are. We are well, on we were, we were away from the boulevard last week because we did an extended uh, back on the block pod. But, but we're here. With a semi-vengeance, I suppose. We're vengeancy. Yes. We're here. We're here and we're vengeancy. We got some things to talk about. So, yeah, like, there's stuff going on in the world. Well, there's stuff going on in the world. There's also stuff just happening on our streaming platforms. Yes. Um, and so that's basically our world. <laughs> yeah. One thing it sounds like we've both seen is the sort of reboot, sort of return on Netflix of Unsolved Mysteries. Yes. Should we start with that one? Yeah, let's dive in there. Now, I have to say up front, I've seen five of the six. Oh, you've seen more than I have. I, okay. I've seen one and a half. Oh, okay. <laughs> how do you I, only see a half of one? Don't you want to see how it stays unsolved? I mean, actually, it was maybe more like a quarter. All right, here's so, the all right, thing. Well, tell me the thing. All right, the thing. The thing is, I loved Unsolved Mysteries. I did, too. When it was on and what, what it ran a while, right? It was on, it was on the air. Yeah, it was like 12 years or something from the 80s through the 90s. Um, and it always had that guy in the trench coat. Who was that guy? Robert Stack. Right. He's he's no longer with us. Is he no longer with us? Because he's, he's no, longer, no longer with us. Okay, and because he's no longer on this Unsolved Mysteries, and I miss him. Yeah, he was one of the two like defining factors of the real, the original Unsolved yeah. Mysteries. Like his sort of like spooky presence and, and he like, you know, brought this gravitas and he had like this really great um, narration over the stuff that was happening. Right. Like he would narrate over yeah. the scenes and, and the reenactment. something so ethereal about him where it's like, I'm here and I'm authoritative, but I'm also not here and I also don't care. Like if that makes any <laughs> sense at all. And so I really, really missed him, like, not having him in this reboot. I mean... Yeah, and they he, haven't replaced him. There's just no, no host now. There, there um, is no... There, is, it's just straight up... Yeah, yeah, it's just, like, straight up, like, there's no host. There's no... They're just, like, doing it with, like, I guess, like, producer off-camera interviews, and you don't even hear their questions. Um, it's just these people um, talking about, like, you know, the mysterious thing that happened. That said... The reason why I didn't keep going is because, again, it's like the original Unsolved Mysteries, it was just an hour long, one mystery, one mystery, one mystery each episode. Or did they do a few in one episode that I couldn't remember? I thought they had several segments with different mysteries. OK, in- OK, because this one is just devoted to one mystery each, or yeah. Each, yeah. each episode. Yeah. Um. Which still didn't feel like enough because now we've we're we're so used to true crime being serialized, right? So you get yeah. things like serial, you get things like making of a murder, you, you get so you get more than one hour for these, you know, weird cases. Um and I felt so I kind of felt like oh, that's it. Because I'm now so used to these deep dives that, you know, these, um, these other shows go into. And I felt like that was missing here. Yeah. I, 
there is something missing here for me too. Um, but also, I neglected to say, Robert Stack was one of the two main factors. The other thing was the theme song, which was scary as S H I T. Yeah, and the theme song is like a little bit updated, updated, but it's still here. Yeah. Um, like the 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 original Unsolved is kind of like the like parent to a lot of our true crime shows. Um, I'm not saying it was the first, but it was like an antecedent. And now we're so used to all these that are like we've in, we interview everyone, we've done more investigation, like like they are solved. And so this basically follows the format of something that would air on Investigation Discovery now. Right. Yeah. Um, but it also just feels unfinished. Yeah. Because within the first couple minutes, you're getting the premise, someone's dead, someone's missing. In one case, there was a UFO sighting. And then it almost feels like a lot of filler because they have to extend it the rest of For an episode. Hour. Yeah. But there's no, there's no real later development. There's no twist. There's no smoking gun that comes in. Because it's still unsolved. Right. And but so I can't guess, add much more. I guess the idea is they want the viewers to go off and solve it, but I still feel like we haven't been giving, given enough to, like, go dig into it, you know? Yeah, but yeah, and it's, you know, you could be given all you need with 10 minutes to then go off and say, maybe I have a clue. 49 minutes, 55 minutes, whatever the running times are, after a while, it just feels very repetitive. Mm. Did you binge these all at once, or have you been like just kind of like slow drip? Like, oh, there's nothing on, so we, I might as well did, watch that. We did a couple at a time. Okay. Probably, probably did. We watched five of them in like three sittings. All right, because like I watched the one, and then you know I I started up the other, and then I was kind of like, I'm just gonna go to bed. Like I'm I'm watching it, and I'm like, I'm just not that interested. Yeah, and at least one time we watched it shortly before going to bed. And I'm like, okay, this is a problem. Because if I watched the original Unsolved Mysteries before I went to bed, I would have gone to bed scared and had nightmares. And now I'm like, all right, I'm going to bed, not thinking about this anymore, no nightmares. I mean, do you think, though, it's also because you're older? I mean, in in defense of the new Unsolved Mysteries, although I did not find the one that I watched at all spooky, it was just a crime that was unsolved. I wondered about that myself, and it is possible. That, too, remains unsolved. Like, like, the, like um, it the could first, be because I'm just older. Like, like, okay. So, since the first, the first episode, the very first you episode. In order. So, the first one is is the husband who disappears and is later found, and it's presumed that he jumped to his death from like the hotel room. Right, okay. but um, it but as they're sort of like going through this investigation, it's looking more and more like there was foul play involved, but they couldn't figure out how he got from the hotel roof into like, it was like this perfect hole that he made like through the roof. Made a perfect hole. And also items on his person, like a phone and glasses remained unscathed. Right. So it seems like probably killed elsewhere and then somehow placed. Right. But then they had blood spatter. But there's, yeah, exactly. They had the blood spatter. So, I mean, I guess like, like, if you, if you, I mean, stranger shit has happened. Like maybe it was just the way he landed that like the glasses didn't break or like the, like I was kind of like watching this wondering maybe he got shoved out of a helicopter. Hmm. I don't know. 
I mean, we will never know. But, you know, I believe some sort of foul play was involved. And I think some of the people that he was working with and reporting about um, who would not speak to, you know. Yeah, that was weird. They wouldn't speak. I feel like, well, that feels kind of like an admission of some sort of complicity there. But we don't know. I mean, in a world full of true crime and solved mysteries, uh, this now feels anticlimactic. And yeah. also, I feel like I feel like there was a big mix in the original of, um, like real mysteries, real murders, real kidnappings, and like paranormal, just stuff. unexplained phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. mostly murders. And so we only have one of those in this batch of six, and I'm like, you should have made it more even. Yeah, so those were the ones that I those yeah. were the ones I really loved from the original Unsolved Mysteries was like the unexplained, the ghosts, the paranormal shit, the UFOs, like all of that. Like yeah. you, you watch like I mean back uh, back in the day, like when when Unsolved Mysteries was airing, you could see like Dateline in 2020 usually aired all of these unsolved murder yeah. stories, you know. So you could always see that. You could you could watch. Um, what America's Most Wanted. You could like like the crime stuff was there. Not a lot of not a lot of shows were doing the paranormal stuff, which I always thought was like way more intriguing. And that is definitely more of an unsolved mystery. Whereas like most of it seems like what they were showing is just unsolved crime. That's ex- yeah. That is the majority. Yeah. And I'm like, put more ghosts, put more aliens in this. Yes, yes, ghosts and aliens. That's what we want. Chupacabra. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. Because that's an unsolved mystery. Like, they should be out there looking for Bigfoot. Yeah. That's a mystery. So, I don't think I'm going to keep watching. So, that's I the ver- right. Yeah. You I, know, and I. I mean, there's yeah. just so many other options now for true crime that I think are doing it better. Sorry, yeah. Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, I just... Sorry, get, Unsolved. Don't you just kind of feel like sometimes, like, they keep bringing the shit back for nostalgia, and it's like, but that seems to be the only... Because I cannot... When I was watching this, I was going, what is the compelling reason for bringing the show back? Yeah, there is none, other than because they could. Cause they and because there weren't new ideas. Right. But so. the moment has gone. Yeah. Anyway... Um, I wouldn't recommend it unless you just really love crime. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. So I know you've watched something else on the Netflix. I have watched something else on the Netflix and I'm, I'm a bit torn on this. So, um, tell me more. All right, what the hell is it called? It's the, the movie. The Old Guard? The Old Guard, yes. So it is a movie on, uh, I guess, I couldn't figure out, this was a Netflix movie, or was this one of those movies that was supposed to, supposed to be in theaters and because of COVID ended up on Netflix? I think this one was always made with the intention of going to Netflix, okay. but I do not know that for certain. Okay, because it was sort of hard to tell because on the one hand, Charlize Theron, right? Like, she's a big name. Um, But you know, the big names are doing all the streaming stuff, too. That's exactly it, because I did feel like there were some moments, because this is a kind of espionage action uh, shoot-em-up movie, and there were certain, you know, action sequences that felt a little 
eh, not big budget, shall we say? Um, but for the most part, um, I actually was more fascinated with what Charlize is doing with her career. Well, can you talk a bit about the premise of The Old Guard? Because, I mean, that's basically the thing I'm curious about. Is it getting credit because it's a superhero thing or because of the representation therein? Okay. So the idea is um, in this movie, I keep wanting to call it a series, but it's a movie. Um, There are these, I think it's four or five, uh, four individuals um, who are immortal. But they're not really immortal because eventually they can die and they just never know when that is. So it's almost like a cat has nine lives. Well, these people have like 9,000, but I guess you Mm -hmm. eventually like lose count. And, you know, so anytime, anytime they get killed, you know, they might not come back. So that's always like the bit of a nail biter, right? As they're going through these action sequences. And so basically they are, immortals they find they're able to find each other telepathically somehow to know um like when another immortal comes because when we open the movie uh, one of the immortal dies immortals mm. actually does die and then they start having dreams about the new immortal who takes their who's going to take that person's place um uh. so so it's kind of like paranormally i'm sorry i just want to bring up the movie so that i want to make sure that i get like actors names and stuff like that right um so it's kind of like paranormal e in that in that sense that they're immortal and they are almost like mercenaries so they don't work for a government they are clandestine they are just their own entity they're not like working for anyone but they go out there and they try and like fight the good fight right the wrongs Um, and, you know, and they sort of will step into the middle of a war and like save people's lives. And so eventually, like you find out, this is like a bit of a spoiler that, um, they're about like two generations removed from like all these amazing things. So like if they hadn't saved this person here 20 or 30 years later, there wouldn't be like, you know, um, a, a, a Martin Luther King because hmm. the person okay. that they saved was his great grandfather. Gotcha. You know, so so there's a, there's like a connection that this group of people are actually saving the world even though they don't realize it at the time. Um and so it's kind of cool to kind of like watch them all get shot up and die and then you know a few minutes like a few seconds later like bullets start sort of falling out of their bodies and they like wake up and they get up and they heal um which is which is a pretty which is really kind of it's a very cool premise and it's very cool to watch and i love that they've added to it too like this extra layer of um anxiety and tension because they could not wake up and so whenever there's like somebody's out for like a minute or two longer than you expect them to be like you're like oh my god is this it are they dead um and they're and they're not Mm -hmm. Um, but, you know, apart from the first immortal dying right at the very beginning, another spoiler, nobody else does. So 
in a way I felt slightly cheated. Um, oh, I guess I should also mention like they are now like having to outrun some like billionaire, like medical med tech, like dude who is played by Harry Melling, by the way, um, who, who figured out who they were and is like on a mission to like grab them because he like wants their DNA sequencing and he wants to know like what is it that's keeping them alive? Like what is it in their genetic? Uh, sure. So now we've got this part where they they're getting like, you know, he's trying to capture them so that he can like put them in a lab and do experiments on them and figure out like what keeps them alive so that he can then like make some sort of, you know, pill and and sell it for a gazillion dollars and and you know, rule the world. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's pretty much the premise. And, um, you know, the, the Harry Melling rich guy does capture two of them. And then the other two have to go in and say, uh, the other three, no, he captures, sorry, he captures three of them. The other two have to go and save them, which is Charlie's Theron. And Kiki Lane is the actor. She plays Niall. She is the yep. sort of new recruit, um, shall we say. So she was a Marine. Um, she got shot in action and, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. She got her throat cut and, um, one of her, one of her platoon mates watched her bleed out. And then it was like, you know, 20 minutes later, she was like alive and she doesn't even have a scar. And so, you know, mm. everybody in the platoon is like, what's going on? And then when she comes back to life, that's when all these other immortals start having dreams about her. And Charlie's Theron goes and finds her in Afghanistan or wherever she is and like basically like grabs her and takes her with her and says, you have to come with us. And so she's fighting her, you know, her, who she is right now because she can't accept it. She wants to have a normal life. She wants to be with her family. She wants to, you know, be back with her, her platoon mates. Um, she doesn't want to be an immortal. Um, but then, you know, obviously she, she goes through the whole journey of that sort of hero's journey of turning around and saying, yes, I need to be like, this is why, this is where I am now. What about the, what I've read is, um, it's notable for its portrayal of like out LGBT superheroes. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's a big part of it, right? Well, not a big part, but that's a significant part, I should say. Part of that. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I, I think what's happening right now, and it almost feels like there are two characters who are mortals who are a couple, and there are two men, um, and it just is a relationship. I mean, this definitely passed the uh, Bechdel test in that, like, you know, neither Charlie's nor Kiki um, discussed, you know, men, men. or boys with each other. Um, and it was the only relationship was between, um, these, these two male characters, um, the only romantic relationship was between these two male characters. So, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess you could say that it was, um, it, it was, I didn't realize, I actually thought there were more characters than that. Um, just based on I mean, I mean, I guess maybe could Charlize or Kiki be gay? Sure. But it was, I suppose, but it was never. But it's not. It was never brought up as like part of their characters. They don't fall in love. Um, There's no hanky panky going on there. So, I mean, there were only two gay characters. They they were only those two guys. Um, So, I mean, it was lovely to see that relationship. But at at the same time, I kind of am starting to feel like there's a, 
And again, maybe it's because I watch more like shit on the WB than the normal person. Like that has been on the WB for a couple of years now. And so it's almost normalized to me. The CW, you mean? Oh, the CW. (laughs) Yes, the CW. Um, So it almost feels normalized to me, which I guess is still a big deal that they showed these two guys as superheroes. Um, But I will say. You didn't know the comic, did you? No, I did not know the comic. I will also say, as far as superhero movies go, none of these men are buff or, like, you know, take off your shirt so I can look at you and drool. Um, None of them are the size of the rock. Like, the two women really are the ones that look like they could kick your ass. Um, The guys, I was kind of like, you ain't no action hero. They're kind of schlubby. They've got dad bods. Mm-hmm. Not like Zac Efron dad bods, but real no. actual dad bods. No, but actual dad bods. Um, uh, but you wanted to talk more about Charlize anyway. I did want to talk more about Charlize. I think what she's doing right now in her career is extraordinarily interesting. And she is almost modeling the um, the actor, like like the actor, the male actor getting older career tra- trajectory of, let's say, yes. like Tom Cruise, right? Yes. Who, when he started, you know, the uh, the Jerry Maguire and you know, and those movies like that, the sort of Oscar-y movies that he would do um, to legitimize himself as an actor, and then all of a sudden, like once he got that, all of a sudden, like he is starting. To, he's he's now this action movie hero, which I guess. I mean, before Mission Impossible and those types of films, like he sure he did Top Gun, but I never really thought of him as an action hero, right? No, no, he was a blockbuster guy, but not particularly the action. But guy. he was an action guy, right? Yeah. And so I find it really, really fascinating that because I can't think of another actress, female actor, who has done this, where she's got her, you know, she's got her Oscar. She's done a bunch of, you know, sort of extraordinary uh, films that have made that have proven that she is a very good and very credible actor. And now she's stepping into these action roles and they are, you know, her as the. The protagonist, the person who is driving the action, the one who is kicking ass and taking names. And I find that really fascinating because I can't think of another female actor that's doing that. Um, no, I mean, I, th- I feel like a forebear is Sigourney Weaver, but she kind of did her action stuff concurrent with the serious stuff, not one came before the other. Like, Alien was fairly early in her career, and then she was able to parlay that into a series of mostly serious, but often critically acclaimed parts, and then kept returning to Alien. Mm-hmm. Um, and Linda Hamilton sort of had that with the second Terminator but then she also essentially stepped away from Hollywood and did not continue to build that. Um, you know, Angelina Jolie had that. She did her serious stuff quickly and then very quickly did like the Tomb Raider stuff, but then went back to being serious and then very quickly has, has like stepped aside. So there isn't really another example of that. And you know, and our, the- our commercial actresses are typically not actiony actresses. Yeah. And the number of action movies that she's done, I mean, like you're saying, you know, like we've, you know, Sigourney did a few. Um, Linda Hamilton did a few. Um, 
really Angie only did Tomb Raider, right? She, I can't think of the, those are the ones that come to mind. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, when I you're... mean maybe Mr. and Mrs. Smith can be considered eh. action. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But you're looking at like Atomic Blonde, Fate of the Furious, and Fate of the Furious is also an interesting thing. Oh well, that she's uh, doing yeah, with Fast yeah. And the Furious how because many, she's playing the bad guy. How many of that franchise has she done now? Two, three. I think she's done two or th- I think two, uh, two. Uh, she's uh, well, she's going to be in F9. I think they're she's only up to nine. Two. They're only up to nine. Oh, I thought it was like nineteen. No, they're um, only up to nine. And. And the one that comes to mind first for me is the Mad Max Fury Road movie. Right, Fury Road, yeah. Which is incredible. So these aren't really just action movies. They're action movies that are, like, at the top of the food chain, and they're often well-received. Yes. And and she's still also doing other kinds of movies, like the Bombshell movie that, you know, uh, she was just nominated for. I mean, she's not just traveling down one road, but what she's doing, because she's, what, mid-40s? Uh, yeah, I, w- I guess. I, I would say that's atypical is. for sure for for a Hollywood actress to be a champ. Yeah. Yeah, yeah mid-40s, 75. She's born in 75. Um, so, yeah, I just thought that that was really kind of fascinating what she's been doing. And I like I like the way that she's modeling this. And I hope that there are other actors, female actors, who... Um, who can also travel this road because I do think it's one that has, you know, it's been worn by the male actors and certainly not uh, female actors. And I think that it's very cool to see her um, doing these action, you know, being an action star. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if that like 40 year old thing wasn't a barrier at all? Yeah, like, all of a sudden, like, okay, so you don't want me as the love interest anymore because, you know, I might have a gray hair or a wrinkle and I'm no longer, you know, a a sexual being. But, hey, fuck it. I'll just kick everybody's ass. Okay. I feel it. Yes, and it's also significant that these are not action or franchise films where you could just kind of put in an interchangeable actor like the Mm. person who is playing the lead matters the person who is carrying the movie needs to be a star at a certain level that like she's not just bouncing into you know like the jurassic park movies or anything like that right 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 right. no i mean these are like really great roles um for her and she's you know and she's a phenomenal actor so she's making the roles really great she's making them very three-dimensional which you know, can fall away when there's a lot of shit going boom, right? Like that sort of yeah. three-dimensional character can disappear very easily. Yeah, and and I have an idea, but I haven't seen it. Obviously, how is she as the baddie in the Fast Furious movies? I, you know, I mean, she's all right. I, I mean, she's good. It's just, I mean, let's face it. Like, she doesn't have a lot to work with. Oh, I see, mean, I thought you were gonna say like, yeah, she's great. Because no, I, I think. Mean, I She's really smart, and that comes through, yeah. I, I love the movies, and, I mean, she definitely elevates them, but, you know, there is a writing problem there. And, mm. you know, a lot of really phenomenal actors can do a lot with shit, but they can only do so much with shit, where it's right. still kind of like you look at it and you're like, yeah, that's a shit line. Um, you know, and so that's kind of where she is with those movies, um, is... And I and I and I do also wonder how much ended up on the cutting room floor 
in the interest of having more car chases or more shit exploding, you know, because sometimes the scenes can be a little bit head scratchy and can be a little bit two dimensional instead of three dimensional. And I don't think that that's her. I think it's, you know, it's the lines that she's given. And I also think it might be the way that it's edited. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So something came to mind when we're talking about actresses who can balance the action-y and the more serious stuff. And I guess Jennifer Lawrence is able to do that right now between the Hunger Gameses and the X-Men's that she did and then all the other stuff. But she's not even 30 yet. So I'm wondering if she will actually be able to do something in the Charlize vein if we're able to still do these podcasts 15 years from now. Do you think she will have the career? I mean, in general, um, like, or do you think she might be one of those actors that just kind of says, I'm good, I'm done? I could see her saying that. I could see her getting to a point where she doesn't want to be part of the hamster wheel. Um, but I could also see her taking charge with a production company and finding properties that continue to give her a list material. Do I think a lot of those will continue to be action oriented? Probably not. If if that were to be so. Because I think the interesting about Charlize Theron is that she's had this um, incredibly successful career and she is an A-list actor, but she's not the one that the paparazzi go chasing after. So that I think in and of itself gives her uh, more career longevity than I think some of these younger actors who can't like go out for a coffee without, you know, a photograph of them picking their nose on the way there ends up on a website. Do you know what I mean? And I, and so I would imagine that gets old really fast, you know, if you, to, to some, to certain people, you know? Yeah. The star burns faster. Not necessarily brighter. Yeah. 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 And and also in terms of Jennifer Lawrence, apart from Hunger Games and like X-Men, what? I don't know. I can't I just can't see her doing the roles that like like Atomic Blonde, like like you think about like the Jack Reacher character, right, for mm-hmm. um, with Tom Cruise. Oh, and there's almost like a level of disconnect there, a very cool kind of. Almost, almost like a serial killer with some of these characters. And I think that that's something that Charlize does really well. Clearly she played a serial killer, got an Oscar for that, um, of, of detachment. Um, her ta- like when she takes on these roles, like the characters themselves are very detached. And so you can see them being, you, you can see them being these sort of like stone cold killers. Right. And Jennifer Lawrence, I feel yeah. like is too warm for that. Yeah, I sort of agree. I also feel like I I uh, I value Charlize's talent more than Jennifer Lawrence's anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, I can see that. And I really only brought it up because she's the only other one I could think of after a period that I was like, well, she she's a big deal and she can do actiony things. How long can she? And I don't know. I mean, Brie Larson is probably in a very similar position. So I think I can see her doing 
very like action bad guy type things for another 15 years uh no not necessarily (laughs) i mean charlize charlize is a very established force but also is one that has not really had like the typical peaks and valleys of a career she just sort of does her thing typically is well received disappears comes back after a bit does something else that's well received disappears and every time is is kind of received as a star um but without you know there's no big scandal there's no big failure there's no big misstep as far as i can remember um and so she's kind of an anomaly in that regard yeah i thought i've i think she's fascinating i really love her i agree yeah i think so too i really really again I, i think part of that is she's very clearly very smart and yeah. I think that comes through the choices she makes career-wise and the choices she's making, you know, roll-to-roll on-screen as well. And, I mean, I guess if you're going to have a career, like, she's the one that you would want. Because, like you said, she can kind of disappear from the Hollywood yeah. machine and then come back and make a big splash. And then disappear from the machine and come back. And like, that's really cool to be able to do that. Yeah, and clearly not many have been able to, yeah. You know, as an actor. And, a, and you know, and it keeps her, and I think it also keeps her working. You know, I think like people, you know, actors like Jennifer Lawrence, like their biggest battle is that the general, like the public knows her as Jennifer Lawrence. Right. Exactly. You know, it's hard. It's now hard to watch a movie, watch her in a movie and separate that, you know? Yeah. Now, having said that, we think Charlize is great. Did you see that Bombshell movie? I did not see Bombshell. Yeah, me neither. So we like her, but we don't love her. (laughs) We love her, but not enough to see Bombshell. Yeah, but but it's a conditional love. (laughs) But I will be seeing Atomic Blonde, too, when it finally comes out. I love that movie. I'm glad that they're giving it. I I really like that first one a lot. I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I was so worried they weren't going to give it a second. I'm so glad that they are. Um, and it looks like uh, it looks like the old guard will be getting a second too. There was a fifth immortal um, who was buried at sea, and at the very last scene, we see her return. So um, oh, cool. yeah, so stay tuned for old guard to electric boogaloo. Excellent. Yeah, I can't say I loved the movie, but I loved her. Like it was, kind of, it was all right. I, I may I or may not end up watching it. But but yeah, I like her. And I should I should say that I think the woman who directed it, uh, Gina Prince Blythewood, is very good. What um, did she do? Like where where did she come very from? Very not very different movies that don't fall in line with the old guard. She did Beyond the Lights, which was really good and still sort of underregarded about five or six years ago, uh, which is primarily about a famous singer. She did The Secret Life of Bees. She did Love and Basketball. I think those are her big ones. Okay. Um, she's a very, she's a really good, very intuitive director. Um, and I hope this begets more work for her more and like more visible work for her. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So what else we got? Um, I saw on HBO, a documentary called showbiz kids, which was directed by Alex winter. So he's bill of bill. Oh, and Ted. Yes. He's the one who's not Keon. <laughs> And I liked it. Now, he interviews, I don't know, it's like seven or eight different subjects who were child stars and are still around. So some of their stories are, um, like, less volatile. 
than others. Oh my others. God, like the, he interviewed the, Todd Bridges? Yeah, who's, who's by now the only surviving lead of Different Strokes. Um, and, I mean, he's pretty, I think he's been pretty with it for a long time now. So he had lots and lots of problems. Yeah, I remember him having night. a lot of problems, yeah. Um, but, yeah, he's interviewed. Um, Evan Rachel Wood is interviewed. Um, Mila Jovovich or Jovovich, however. Um, and my favorite, my personal favorite, Henry Thomas of E.T., uh, mm. who we saw in stuff like Hill House recently. Um, and, you know, they, they all talk about their different stories, um, how, what it was like being famous young, how it got weird, um, you know, insensitive things, like when you're 10 years old and you're in a movie and a critic, like, goes off on how bad you are, you know, like, that doesn't hurt the movie, but that hurts the kid. Um, right. You know, Will Wheaton is in it, Mara Wilson, who is the really adorable girl in Mrs. Doubtfire, and uh, Matilda in the Miracle on 34th Street remake, you know, and they all talk about sort of, they're able to articulate as adults what was going through their mind when they were really young um, in ways that they couldn't have then. Um, the movie doesn't have a very clear thesis or through line, so they talk about different subjects at different times, and they definitely talk about, you know, the sexual abuse and pedophilia that, that goes on there, Evan Rachel Wood is out as, like, a survivor of both domestic yeah. abuse and so, so, uh, sexual violence. Um, she has testified before Congress. And Alex Winter himself has talked about how he was, you know, messed with as a child, I think 13 years old, by people in the industry when he was a working actor. Oh, I um, didn't realize that. And only, he's only done that recently within the last few years. So I think, and he's done other documentaries, but I think in many ways this was a very specific sort of passion project for him. And do I think it ultimately breaks new ground? No, uh, but I think it's definitely a worthwhile subject. Um, I will post my review on our, our website. Um, and I also think uh, he interviews two other people who uh, passed away in between making the documentary and the premiere on HBO. Oh. And one is Cameron Boyce, who I didn't know much of before he died, but was primarily a big Disney actor. He was in The Descendants, right. which I know was very popular, and he died at 20 last yeah. year, just about a year ago, of an epileptic seizure. So this is sort of a nice tribute to him because he also talks a lot. Um, and the actress who played Baby Peggy in the 1920s and is essentially considered the very first child star, made millions for the industry, she lived to be 101 and was very with it right till the end because oh, wow. she's also... She also speaks a lot. She was a big child actor advocate throughout her life. Um, and so she speaks about that, too. So he has a, a nice, diverse array of some really savvy people who speak pretty honestly about some of the ways the industry works and what it did to them. I would have yes. preferred to know a little bit more about, like, the, the low ebbs of their career, like when the work stopped coming and before they all sort of got their lives together or got more work as an adult. Because, like, Will Wheaton essentially disappeared from right. his twenties and a lot of his thirties, Henry right. Thomas kind of disappeared from sixteen to his forties, and all of a sudden he's playing a dad. And it's like, well, I never even saw you playing a character who had sex. So it's like there's a long time that you weren't doing work in the public eye. Just curious, even what that does to you in your own life on your own time. He's an example of someone who I don't think fell into addiction, but I don't know what he was like, doing in his life or if he was able to step away at all on his own and not because there were no calls. There's a lot from those periods of like the wilderness of their careers 
I would have been curious to find out more of. But that also then has to be more than one hour, or more than one movie. That's an hour. Right. It has. Then you're making a big series, and you're digging really deep, and that's something different. Right. Right. That that is true. Oh well, that sounds really cool. This was HBO, right? HBO. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm not. Which also, I'm annoyed because this one show that I really liked. Search Party came back after three years with a season three, and it's available on HBO Max, but HBO Max isn't available on our, like, our Fire Stick or any of the, the platforms that we use to actually watch on our TV, and we don't feel like watching it on any of our handheld devices, so we haven't seen it yet. So HBO uh, Max, get your act together. Yeah, no shit. Also, I don't know what's happening on any of these new platforms like uh, Peacock or a lot of the other content on HBO Max, it just looks like they're playing old movies from 15 years ago that would have otherwise just ended up on TBS. And it's oh. like, <laughs> why do I need to get HBO Max to watch The Big Bang Theory and Hitch or something like that? So, yeah. No, we don't need that. We don't. i do not not a fan of all of these separate platforms that you all have to pay for a la carte. To, to find something. That's why I got cable in the first place. Yeah, right. I mean, that's kind of like now we're now like we're going back it's to cable, too much. Here, aren't we? Yeah. Too much. I agree. So what else? Well, I'll just very quickly. If any of you listeners have watched the movie Palm Springs on Hulu with Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti, if you liked it, I'm legitimately curious to know why. Because to me, it's just kind of a tiresome knockoff of Groundhog Day that I didn't find particularly funny or humane in terms of interesting characters. But I know a lot of other people are. So if it's a case of I'm just watching whatever Hulu's putting out, I get it. But if it's something you actually thought had merit, I'm truly interested in learning more why. Because I think it's not. Oh my god, it's kind of, I'm kind of wondering if it's like that Netflix show I talked about a couple of weeks ago, that movie, when I was Maybe. like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, the one with the chick that October was so unlike- No, 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 the one with the chick that was so unlikable that um, was the the wrong, the wrong Amy, was that, it, or whatever it was called? The oh, wrong oh Amy? yeah, the wrong Missy. The wrong yeah. Missy, that's what it was, the wrong Missy, yeah, and it was just like, it, it was that same idea. Like it would have been this like goofy comedy, but it was just terrible. And yeah. There's definitely some tonal issues that yeah. collide here and, and nothing, I think nothing works, but it's essentially, it's uh, two individuals that meet in Palm Springs. Andy Samberg is there um, because uh, his girlfriend is in the wedding party the other woman, Kristen Milioti, is the sister of the bride, and they end up in this sort of time loop where they keep repeating the same day over and over again, no matter what they do to try and escape it. Um, but there are no real lessons to be learned, and they're not defined enough to start in one way and really end up in a significant other way by the end. Mm. So it really feels like a lot of writer fiat. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know, that looked kind of interesting to me. And I, because, I mean, partly was like that swimming pool. It looked like very blue. And I was like, oh, that looks nice and relaxing. The swimming but, pool looks very nice to, to watch them be in. Yeah, but now I'm like, eh, I don't think I need to. I don't need to see that because the wrong Missy there was just so dreadful. It was, you know, I, I, I just don't want to put myself through that again. It's hard. Not in like a life is hard, people are dying sort of way. Hard in that now a lot of 
content is, I think, being elevated, getting an audience that there used to be a, a more Darwinian way to let that stuff sink to the bottom. And I find that it's rising now. And I'm like, well, what does this beget for the future in terms of other things that will be greenlit by the people with the power? So we'll see. We'll see. And I think we have come to the exit ramp. Okay. The end of the boulevard, but do boulevards ever end? This one does. This one will now. This one will now. (laughs) Karen has to go to bed, so this boulevard is coming to an end. I'm crawling into bed now, so yeah. Um, Before we go, give us five stars on iTunes. Um, Tell us you love us, and visit us on Facebook at Back on the Block Pod. All those things. A five-star iTunes review is never hurtful. Can can always help. Please let us know if there's stuff you are listening to, watching, reading, hearing about, blah, 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 um, that you would like us to talk about, that you would like to be a part of and engage in. Um, We're always happy to engage. Yes. All right. So I guess uh, we will see you guys next week. We will. Stay well till then. Take care. And we will see you back on the boulevard. Bye.